This episode is hosted by Lee Atchison. Lee Atchison is a software architect, author, and thought leader on cloud computing and application modernization. His most recent book, Architecting for Scale, is an essential resource for technical teams looking to maintain high availability and manage risk in their cloud environments. Lee is the host of his podcast, Modern Digital Business, an engaging and informative podcast produced for people looking to build and grow their digital business with the help of modern applications and processes developed for today's fast-moving business environment. Subscribe at mdb.fm and follow Lee at leeatchison.com. As companies move more and more workloads to the cloud, cost management in the cloud is becoming critically important. Modern application development methodologies increasingly involves moving to service and microservice architectures enabled by the cloud, and Kubernetes is the backbone of this modern infrastructure trend. Managing costs of Kubernetes clusters is therefore becoming increasingly important. KubeCost is a company focused on giving visibility into Kubernetes resources, allowing you to reduce your overall Kubernetes-based infrastructure spend. Webb Brown is the founder of KubeCost and joins us today. Webb, welcome to the show. So great to be here, Lee. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited for the chat. Great. And this is not your first time on the show, is it? It is not. I'm proud to be a a return guest. And a lot has happened since I first joined. It was soon after we started the KubeCost project that I first joined Jeff. So excited to share many updates since then. Cool, cool. And and I certainly suggest that everyone who's interested in what we're talking about today, go back to early 2021 and listen to that episode of Software Engineering Daily with KubeCost. It's a great episode with great information, and I'm looking forward to finding out how things have changed between then and now and what you're focused on and, and all that sort of thing. So let's just get started with some basics. You're a SaaS based monitoring platform. Is that is that a correct high-level analysis? You're a SaaS-based platform? Actually, so our product itself gets deployed in our users' clusters or VPCs. So it is, by default, fully deployed. We actually do have a SaaS solution that is in limited availability that we actually haven't announced broadly, but we're going to announce that soon. But yeah, our core product, uh, like, you know, KubeCost community, as well as enterprise, is based on our open source and is deployed fully in our users' clusters. So it's deployed on-site or within the user's environment, whether it's cloud-based or on-site. So how easy is it for someone to add your product to their existing Kubernetes clusters? So it generally takes just a couple minutes. It is, you know, today two commands for most users. It is, you know, simply a a Helm, you know, add package and then Helm install. And that deploys kind of all of the dependencies that KubeCost needs. If you've run like a Grafana, for example, or maybe even Prometheus, I would say, you know, think of it similar, you know, in that it just spins up like core KubeCost pod, as well as time series database and an optional Grafana, if you want that. So yeah, generally, you know, minutes, if not less for, for most clusters. So now you mentioned Prometheus. It actually runs on top of Prometheus. Is that correct? We support basically anything that speaks PromQL. So Prometheus, Cortex, uh, you know, Thanos, and other time series databases. That is like we ship with a Prometheus by default. 
it can be optionally disabled. And then, you know, KubeCost itself can be deployed in, say, like agent mode where you aggregate data across many clusters. And there we would just be kind of shipping with a very lightweight, you know, time series database. So like all of the metrics and data that we generate around costs and efficiency and allocation, all that is written to a you know, Prometheus data store. So then you can do really cool things like, you know, use alert manager or, you know, do you know, real time, you know, rules or monitoring in the Prometheus UI, that sort of stuff. Cool. Cool. Okay. So it is very heavily tied into the Prometheus environment anyway, but it's not Prometheus based. You can use any of their Prometheus compatible systems that work together and they all work together with cube cost. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like that interface ends up being kind of, you know, PromQL and then, you know, we expose kind of like our metrics on a slash metrics endpoint that is just, you know, pulled from any kind of, you know, Prometheus based like, you know, ingestion. Makes sense. Yeah. So, well, let's talk beyond monitoring for a moment. Let's talk about optimization. I know you, you focus a lot on cost optimization and, and optimization is not just measurement, but it's also finding ways to reduce and to manage the costs of a Kubernetes environment. So how do you provide insights into usage optimization specifically? Yeah, we do many things today. So you touch on it first is you know, deploying our application and getting that map of usage across your environment and resource consumption. And again, we want to start by giving that like transparency and awareness, doing that based on kind of your enterprise discounts and your use of spot versus RIs versus savings plans. So first is starting to get that like accurate and real time allocation of cost. And then we actually typically start with teams or recommend they start with just one number, which is our notion of cost efficiency, which is effectively saying in your Kubernetes cluster for all of the things, the resources that are allocation based, right? That you provision, say a node or a, you know, disk uh, attached or PV, et cetera. What percentage of every dollar that you're you know, spending are you actually utilizing? Right. So like doing that on a cost weighted basis, that is oftentimes a great indicator or a great starting point for like where you can optimize and, and the actual impact of that optimization. So from there, we would look for, you know, starting at the, you know, bottom of the stack, like the actual infrastructure itself. So thinking about like right sizing or, you know, rebalancing infrastructure. We have some teams that like dig in and at the OS level and think about like prioritization of different requests, et cetera. And then a lot of time is spent like at the orchestration level itself, right? So thinking about auto scaling and, and replication and, you know, pod disruption budgets, all these things that are at the like scheduler and, you know, Kubernetes API level. And then from there, we'll dig in even to like containers and the, the applications themselves. So a common one being like, you know, right sizing or even, you know, scaling requests and limits over time, et cetera. So it's really looking at all aspects of the stack to think about these like, you know, really fine-tuned optimizations where most teams can, you know, typically see savings of like 50% plus, depending on kind of the state of their infrastructure and also, you know, what they're willing to like dig into. So in order to do that, you need metrics not only on the number of each resources and things that are being used and how they're being used and what the cost of each of those resources are, but also how they're utilized, how well they're utilized. You just grab that from other Prometheus metrics, 
correct? You're requiring performance monitoring to be enabled in order to get those metrics so you know usage utilization that can then do those optimization percentages. Yes, yeah, so we'd be doing this join across your billing data, you know, data from the Kubernetes API, data from say like C advisor for, you know, CPU utilization, et cetera, the kernel itself for like network, you know, monitoring. So yeah, we would join all that together. And, and our view is fundamentally that you need to think both again, kind of the like allocation or provisioning side of the equation for costs as well as the, the utilization. We actually just released a big new spec on this, just part of the brand new open cost launch, which really details exactly that and, and shares exactly what you just said, which is like the individual C advisor metrics that are typically scraped from a Prometheus. I actually want to get into open cost. I've got it a little bit further down the list and we can hold on to that just for a little bit, but I'm definitely very interested in what open cost is doing and how it all works. But let's keep on the optimizations for a moment here. So, and I know you're you're a young company, and so answers of not yet probably are phrases that you use a lot. I get that. But uh, what about using other performance optimization technologies other than you know the base Prometheus, using things like commercial products like Datadog and New Relic? Do you see yourself as working with companies like that to provide this capability on top of what they provide? And do you do any of that today, or is this things you're thinking of in the future, or how do those commercial products fit into this whole universe? Yeah, absolutely. So we are working with some of those already, and I would expect a, a growing number over time. And it's a really interesting, you know, like time for that question or discussion, in my view. And I, I would say it's in a large part due to hotel or you know open telemetry. Which is the fact that, you know, when you support that, like, you know, data standard or format, you know, really most observability stacks can ingest these metrics, right? And, you know, we've like by speaking common formats that Prometheus ingests, a lot of observability solutions are able to just ingest these metrics, you know, out of the box. So yeah, it's a really exciting time because of that. And I think increasingly as a ecosystem, we're, we're starting to see that, yeah, we're, you know, aligning on a lot of the same interfaces and, and standards. And, and that I think will only get easier. Yeah, I'm really excited to see some of the things that open telemetry can be used for and how it's going to change really the, the dynamics of the whole monitoring space in general. It's going to be a very interesting several years, I think. <laughs> Agreed. It feels like it will be big. I will just say that, you know, over the past couple of years, I've you know, spoken with hundreds, if not, you know, like a thousand plus teams at this point, I, I just hear it, you know, as a topic of conversation, top of mind more and more. And again, I think just like the portability and all the really interesting benefits we get from it, I expect will be, will be big. Cool. Cool. So I, I know when I worked at Amazon, I was involved in Amazon there relatively early in their career in the early days of AWS and retail before then, you know, when we were doing some of the early retail days, Managing infrastructure costs was a huge issue for us because resources were allocated and owned by individual teams and individual teams, you know, controlled their own destiny with, you know, determining how many servers they needed for their services, et cetera. And as you can imagine, we have, you know, a hundred people all allocating their own resource utilization. There's not a lot of optimization that goes on. And that actually was became huge problems for us, as um, especially as we started approaching holiday times, Christmas time, which was for Amazon retail, we would have double or triple or quadruple the, the traffic we would any other time of year. 
And so costs of managing resources was always a huge issue because of the way we, we manage the costs at an individual team by team basis. How does a product like Cube Cost help companies like that manage at a team by team basis? Yeah, I think it's a great example and just a very relevant question to you know, lots of companies in this ecosystem. And in my view, at least oftentimes in Kubernetes land is in a lot of ways, we're talking about balancing these two very important concepts, which is innovation or ability to you know, ship and move quickly with managing costs, right? Because giving your engineering teams the ability to you know, deploy, you know, whatever it is, jobs, deployments, replica sets, et cetera, on your infrastructure and do that without a ton of like hurdles is a great thing for shipping products. But yes, when it is, that is decentralized across all of your organization, there's no awareness, tragedy of, you know, the commons can <laughs> ensue. So we think about it in three ways. First is just awareness and transparency. Right. What we see is, uh, you know, as, as former engineers and the experience we had working at Google on, on similar problems is as an engineer, you're busy. It's really hard to like, it's not, you know, right in front of you to like even know what you're spending. Right. So like you spin up application and you request, you know, five cores and, you know, you, you aren't focused on like, you know, the number of replicas as they're configured in your auto scaling group and like, you know, you wake up and you are told that you spend many multiples of what you expected to spend later sometimes. So first, it's just like bringing that data to engineers, we found can be transformative, right? And again, it's much harder, generally harder in Kubernetes because everybody's sharing resources oftentimes, right? You have multi-tenant clusters. So it's less like you go to a core you know, cloud group and say, give me X VMs and they send you a bill and you know, you have that kind of showback chargeback. So, you know, that's part one. And then second is just having some measurement of guardrails in place, right? Whether it's budgets, alerts, like, you know, policies that are, say, utilization or efficiency based. There's a lot of things that can just kind of set up these, you know, loose guardrails without actually slowing innovation. And then lastly, I would just say like some measurement of automation can be, you know, really helpful here. I'll just give you an example. We have some KubeCost has some really interesting integrations with products like uh, Spinnaker, where as part of your CI/CD pipeline, you can actually look at you know, utilization history of you know, applications that have been running. And when you go into a new release, you can have automation kind of right-size that or take action on your behalf. And that's just one example, I would say, of like a, a growing amount of automation here that can, can really help teams at scale. You mentioned the P word policies, and I think that's uh, important, especially for a lot of these larger companies like like the Amazons, if you will, and how they, they manage their cost at scale. And I'm talking about organization scale as much as I am product scale. So I imagine that's an area where you can talk about policy management now, but you probably have some ideas for how to add more capabilities there and expand that either in within you know, cube cost or with integrations to other other products. And do you want to talk in at all about some of the things you see where how policy management might become you know important to you as time goes on? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's worth pointing out that in Kubernetes, a lot of teams are are kind of just getting to this stage in the sense that you know most teams when they like they start using cube costs they generally didn't have a lot of visibility in the cost is most common, right? Because, you know, they may be 
the monitoring costs at like the EC2 level, when it comes like accurately breaking that down by Kubernetes tenant or team or application, oftentimes it's it's a lot of a black box, right? So, you know, part one is typically getting that visibility in place. Part two is, okay, let's start looking at, you know, typical optimizations available. And then part three is typically, all right, then let's put those guardrails in place. And so what we see is actually pretty interesting because like KuCost tends to work with, like work closely with a lot of like medium and large size enterprises. And a lot of them already oftentimes have kind of policy management or, or some type of financial policies in place because many of them had like show back and charge back and other programs in place from their VM days. So right now I would say we're doing a lot of like integrating with other systems. I would just say like, I, I do see an opportunity for KubeCost itself to make that a little simpler. The interesting thing there is that, yeah, a lot of kind of custom actions are taken based on those policies. You know, sometimes it can be, you know, alert this owner. Other times it can be kind of, you know, prevent new deployments from happening, you know, depending on the context of the group or the scenario, you want to be generally really thoughtful because again, I think you can start tapping into throwing that innovation and cost management balance, you know, out of whack if you go too far in one direction. Yeah. There'll be demons there if you're not careful and <laughs> and how to make some of this work. Now you also mentioned, and you know, when I did a little bit of research, I noticed that you mentioned that you, you also help manage related infrastructure costs, but aren't directly Kubernetes related. And I think the example on your website that you talk about is S3. You know, So you, you store containers. I'm assuming the use cases, you store containers in S3, they're managed in S3, and you store Docker images in S3, they're managed in S3. But so there's part of the Kubernetes ecosystem, but not directly part of Kubernetes. Can you talk a little bit about what you do for those sorts of resources and how you incorporate that into your whole strategy? Absolutely. This would be a big change. You know, since I was last on the show, this would you know be all new. We kind of started with Kubernetes because we viewed it as, you know, like a black box for a lot of teams and, and kind of saw a real, you know, problem there. But what we started to learn with working with, you know, a lot of large enterprises is that if you're using Kubernetes at scale, you're probably using you know, many other, or at least multiple other like external cloud services, right? Whether that's a you know, storage bucket or external database or, or something else. And what we've seen is that teams inevitably want this you know, single view of like all their infrastructure spend. So while we you know, see Kubernetes at the center of a lot of our users' infrastructure, it's typically not 100% of their spend. So KubeCost itself can now like integrate with your cloud account on top of just being deployed in a cluster. And then it will pull in just all of your billing data and let you see this unified view of everything side by side. So you can do interesting things like, you know, allocate, you know, whether it's a storage bucket or something else to a single deployment or to a single namespace where, you know, tenants in that namespace share that resource. So that's a really powerful feature. And then also have some really other cool functionality that looks at basically your, your network traffic across different side blocks so that you can actually say this particular pod or, you know, staple set or job is actually driving my cost with data transfer from this S3 bucket. And again, for a lot of teams, untangling that is really hard because it's like, I don't know, just something from this cluster or something from another region is talking to it. So this gives you that visibility out of the box. 
Yeah, that sounds incredibly powerful. You can spot runaway processes even or poorly designed processes and all those sorts of things a lot easier with that sort of capability. That's That sounds really cool. I, that's kind of related to my next question, which yeah, but it's a little bit different take. And, and, you know, we always talk about one of the advantages of modern digital applications, the Kubernetes-based cloud, cloud-native applications, is they're dynamic. Right. You can change the size dynamically. You can allocate resources only when they're needed and free it when they're no longer needed. And a lot of those sorts of things that help you control costs in a dynamic fashion. So since your cloud cost is central to what you do, I'd, I'd be interested to get your perspective. Are people really building dynamic applications like that where they are trying to control costs and trying to control infrastructure by bringing infrastructure up and down only when it's needed and doing things in that sort of a dynamic way? Or is that more theory and they're still statically allocating their resources and for the most part? Yeah, it's really interesting. I would say that even since we launched the company, you know, which is you know, just over three years ago, we've seen a shift. And that is teams you know, getting way more comfortable with dynamic scaling. And that could be, again, kind of at the application level or, you know, the, the replication level or at the infrastructure layer itself. Yeah, I think this is as teams get further along with their, like in the adoption curve with, with Kubernetes, you can oftentimes just very clearly see the benefit. Again, that's kind of going back to that cost efficiency number. Like when you're in single digit cost efficiency, because you're like, basically scaled for, yeah, over, like provision <laughs> yeah. for peak load, right? Like it doesn't take a ton of analysis with a tool like Kubecost to say like, here's the potential benefit from scaling. So I think it's a function of as we just grow scale, the wins, like the dollar gains from like being really efficient there become more and more appealing. Now, that being said, you know, we work with a lot of teams closely on how they dynamically provision, right? Because obviously, you know, going too far on the cost dimension can lead to reliability or, or performance, you know, risk or concerns. So generally, we still see teams being very thoughtful and, you know, cautious when they move down that path. But absolutely, we see teams realizing uh, the benefits from dynamic provisioning and see them just getting bigger and bigger, it feels like, every day at this point. So I imagine over the last few years, if you've been able to keep track of this from an industry standpoint, the percent utilization of resources has probably grown steadily over the last several years as as dynamic resources have taken control and you've a lot more dynamic systems and so a lot less wasted resources for peak capacity, et cetera. And so I imagine if you could keep track of that, and maybe you are, and if you are, I'd love to know about that. As an industry, I imagine that number is slowly creeping up over time. It's a fascinating point. I think there's actually two ways to look at it. And obviously like our data set would be heavily skewed towards like, you know, Kubernetes users and, you know, microservices based architectures. The two ways I think would be interesting to look at that is one on a cohort basis and then two on an aggregate basis. And, you know, one thing I can say with like very high confidence is that like, if you look at it on a cohort basis, you know, over the last like two years, I absolutely see like major, major, you know, improvements. But in parallel to that, you know, Kubernetes has seen just insane growth, right? And so 
there's been a lot of users that are new to Kubernetes. And, and what we've seen is, you know, that first period with, you know, Kubernetes transitions is typically, let me get my arms around, you know, Kubernetes itself. And then I'll worry about efficiency, you know, once I'm kind of stabilized and or reach a certain scale. So it's on a cohort basis, I definitely think it's improving on an aggregate basis. It's probably improving there as well, but I think but it may not be as obvious so based on the skew of the new users. So. The new users, yeah, yeah. That that's my intuition. I would say that, like, because we are a deployed product, I have a lot of teams that will share their data with me to, like, you know, with our team to get input. But because the way that KubeCross is architecturally architected, we very intentionally don't require, you know, ask you to send anything. But that being said is anecdotally, we see a lot of teams that are around the like, you know, 20% like cost efficiency mark when they start. That can, I would say, very commonly be kind of like increased by 3x. So we have a lot of teams that can get to like, you know, 60% utilization, you know, pretty quickly. And then obviously that, when you drill deeper, that varies heavily by use case and predictability of demand, et cetera. But I will say that I'm surprised by the like clustering, if you will, like in the you know 60s in terms of cost efficiency. Got it. Got it. So I want to go back to a quote that you used in the last podcast. I'm kind of throwing this at you. There's no preparation. You probably don't even remember saying this, but let's see if we can wrap our mind around what we were talking about. So in the last show, you stated that there is a lot of complexity in the day two part of the Kubernetes journey. And I think what you were talking about is, you know, that managing applications at scale is still a challenge for most companies. This goes back to the, you know, there's a lot of newcomers that come in and say, I just want to build my application on Kubernetes. I'll worry about making it more efficient and perform it later. Just get me in the door now and I'll do the rest later. Were you referring to those that move to the more sophisticated customer is is something that's still in its infancy, if you will? Or what were you thinking of with that? Yeah, yeah. So I apologize if I don't have all of the context of the exact quote, but like, you know, it's, it's really interesting to think about that, you know, versus more than a year ago. And I think we've seen a noticeable shift here as well, for sure, like at Enterprise complexity, I think there's, there's a lot to think about when deploying Kubernetes. And my view is that is today kind of part of the trade off of like having all of the flexibility and the power and the control that's granted to you by Kubernetes. But I think there's a couple things that are happening. One is you've seen this massive rise or shift towards manage Kubernetes offerings, right? So. EKS we see has just like grown so much in adoption and that versus standing up your own, you know, network stack and, you know, managing Kubernetes yourself has allowed a lot of teams to kind of focus on, you know, higher up the stack activities, if you will. And then secondly, I think you're just seeing a lot of the ecosystem transition to this discussion, right? Which is, Hey, you know, can we do better here? And again, I think it's really natural evolution with, you know, where the market is, if you will, right? As, as more users are managing production applications and Kubernetes at really large scale, it makes sense for, 
you know, the providers and, you know, observability players and all of these other companies be more and more focused on that. So I think you're seeing major, major improvements. But at the end of the day, I think it's fair to say that like Kubernetes is this incredibly powerful tool and there still can be a fair amount of complexity exposed. And I still see opportunity from a cost dimension as well as others for us to like help, you know, organizations running containers and Kubernetes at scale. Cool, cool. Now, you mentioned this early on, but I want to come back to it and because I wanted to give you plenty of time to talk about this. And that is I want to talk about open cost. Now, you recently announced an open source project for monitoring Kubernetes spend and called open cost. First of all, why don't you tell our listeners what exactly is open cost and what does it do for them? Yeah, absolutely. So open cost is this new open source solution for monitoring Kubernetes costs. It allows you to monitor costs across basically any Kubernetes dimension you know, in real time. And so then you can then use that as an input for other you know, interesting things like scaling and alerting, et cetera. So there's two parts of the open cost project today, which was just announced last week. There's a brand new spec that was built with a bunch of amazing ecosystem partners. So, you know, partners that are cloud providers, so AWS and Google, and then other players in this ecosystem like, you know, New Relic and SUSE and D2IQ, as well as kind of like end users who are major users of Kubernetes like Adobe. So that group came together and developed this really detailed spec for how you can do cost monitoring in Kubernetes environments. And again, it's touching on all the topics that, you know, we touched on earlier, like taking into consideration you know, usage-based costs, as well as kind of like allocation or capacity-based cost. And then there's a second part of open costs, which is an actual Golang implementation, you know, a software implementation of that spec. So that actually was built as the original KubeCost core allocation engine. So it is everything that's used in our product and really the kind of like heart of how we do kind of this real time, you know, cost monitoring. So is open cost more than just Kubernetes costing or is it focused on Kubernetes? It is focused on Kubernetes today. The implementation supports through really four different environments. So like all the three major cloud providers, AWS, Azure, and Google, as well as on-prem environments where you can bring your own you know, custom pricing sheet. So if, if you look at kind of the charter or, or you know, scope of that, it is in you know, Kubernetes-based environments. There's already discussion about, you know, potentially extending that beyond. But again, where we see lots of ambiguity is in the like really dynamic Kubernetes environments and really working with a lot of end users as well as partners over the last couple of years has, has really highlighted that. Neat, neat. So someone who's wants to think about managing their Kubernetes costs coming into the ecosystem today and looking around and they see Cube cost on one end and open cost on the other end. How would it differentiate between them? What would you tell them to move towards one versus the other? How are you positioning them? Yeah, great question. And, you know, open cost is brand new. Literally 0.1 was just you know, released last week. So this will likely be, you know, evolving quickly. And again, I think you can think about it as the Cube cost project implements the open cost spec and ingests the open costs 
implementation to build all of its functionality. The KubeCost project is designed to be kind of enterprise ready, if you will. So, you know, give a lot of the things like RBAC and advanced reporting and things that like larger organizations need. Whereas if you're, you know, building an integration or building a tool or just want it on your like, you know, own cluster or your smaller team, that's where we think open cost is a great fit. But I'm really excited about and hope we see lots of just cool innovation built on top of that. Because again, I think we're just, just at the very beginning where us as engineers are increasingly getting costs into our kind of observability metric set. And again, I just think we're already seeing really cool examples of things that you can do with that information once it's available. Again, kind of touched on that like Spinnaker example of like, I could see a world where all CICD pipelines have this notion of cost and, you know, allow you to make either kind of manual or automated decisions on that information in real time. That's cool. Yeah, I can see lots of use cases there that would be quite interesting. We'll have to see what actually is developed in the, the universe and who all is involved in this. So outside of the major cloud providers, who's signed on to OpenCost so far? I think you mentioned like Datadog and New Relic, but who else has been involved? Yeah, so we've had, you know, work closely with New Relic and D2IQ and Armory and the group at MindCurve, SUSE, and a couple others. And all of these were really valuable founding contributors, you know, to the spec and really kind of help think through and architect, you know, this design. So that entire founding group has, again, open source everything we've done. And we've also started the process. We've applied to contribute this project to the CNCF. And our hope is that we can find a great, you know, neutral governance home and just get further input from the broader ecosystem as you know, time evolves. Yeah, you actually anticipated my next question. You've submitted it as a sandbox project specifically. What do you expect that that will bring you? Once you, assuming you get that, what would that give to the project besides the stamp of approval of CNCF? What benefits do you see of getting listed as a sandbox project? Yeah, I think it naturally brings kind of better and better alignment with these like really important CNCF projects today, right? We, we talked about, you know, Prometheus as an example, and obviously, you know, like Kubernetes project itself. I think there's a lot of really interesting, you know, benefits there. I think too, is just saying that, you know, this is something that we truly want to be neutral and, you know, the like IP and everything owned and managed by, you know, CNCF subsidiary of Linux Foundation. And, you know, hopefully we see just more and more kind of contributions and collaboration across the broader ecosystem, because we just think this is such an important, you know, foundational layer that we have a language of cost in the land of Kubernetes and, and cloud native, because we feel today that you know, when teams do kind of do like a DIY or you know implement cost monitoring on their own, a lot of them think about it differently, right? In terms of how you're allocating shared resources. And like you said, are you using you know requests or limits or usage? There's all these like nuanced questions that we just fundamentally believe that if we can agree on in an ecosystem, then we can have you know consistent and reliable measurements of cost across all the major environments where Kubernetes is running. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'm 
anxious to see what happens there. It's, it should be quite interesting. So I'm really intrigued by the company KubeCost in general. You know, I think you've got some great ideas. You've been doing a lot in the last year. And I know you've, you've just closed your last funding round in February, I think, or not, not that long ago anyway, whenever it was. What's your roadmap? You don't want to make everything public, I know. But tell me a little bit. What are you working on now? What should people be excited about following KubeCost? Great question. There's a lot we're excited about. I would say a couple like critical areas that we've, we've kind of already you know, touched on a little bit. One is just kind of the broader effort around open cost. You know, we would very much expect to see us making a big investment, just trying to help build a community around, you know, dynamic management of costs, you know, like real time monitoring of costs, et cetera. And, you know, our hope is there that you'll see many, many cool integrations built from, you know, our team as well as kind of our team, you know, enabling or, or supporting others. We talked a little bit about how, you know, hosted or SaaS group cost is on the way. So stay tuned there. Lots more exciting updates to bring there. And then from there, I think it's really just kind of going, you know, deeper and just getting more and more intelligent with a lot of our optimizations that exist today and just getting better and better about predicting, you know, the state of your workloads and your infrastructure, as well as being more and more just contextually aware, right? So we now have tons of really interesting metadata about both your infrastructure and your applications when KubeCost is deployed in that environment. My view is we can really start to help teams, you know, kind of take out some of that complexity that is part of kind of managing cost as well as reliability and performance in these environments. I think complexity management is a huge untapped valuable area of work in the cloud in general, but certainly in Kubernetes environments. So I think that's it's going to be intriguing to see how things go in that area. So that's great. So if someone's interested in getting involved in open cost, either as a you know individual who wants to follow and see what's going on, or someone who's interested in helping out or being part or getting their company involved with what's going on there. What should they do? Yeah, there's a lot given that the project is brand new. I'll just call out a couple areas. You know, we just released this brand new spec that we hope will help kind of define a way of doing, you know, cost monitoring accurately and fairly in these environments. So if you, you have interest there and you know, want to review or contribute or edit anything around kind of documentation and definitions, very much like, you know, open and welcome to contributions on the open source project itself. You know, like there's a contributing guide at just the like, if you go to GitHub, KubeCost.org, and then open cost project. And then you know, we also just have a community, whether it's joining our Slack community or joining our, our working group. If you just want to be involved in the conversation and kind of help set priorities or give feedback, We'd love to have you there if there's any interest. And again, I view it as like, we're just getting started and there will be many more ways to contribute, you know, going forward. And again, one thing I'm really excited about is just all the cool stuff that we hope will be built on top of this new language of cost. So those will definitely be, you know, valuable, valuable contributions for anybody that has interest there. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that OpenCost has a website at opencost.io. Is that correct? Is that a good place to get information? 
Yes, that absolutely is. And that will can take you to the like GitHub repos, other places. That website was just launched last week. And there's a public repo for that. So if you have you know changes you want to see or feedback, we very much welcome it. And KubeCost itself, if someone wants to learn more about KubeCost, what should they do? I would say just, you know, go check out kubecost.com. You know, feel free again to like join our Slack community if you have questions and just want to talk about, you know, product or, you know, just optimization in general. You know, we'd love to have you there. Or you can also, you know, reach out to me at, you know, web at kubecost.com and happy to help any way that I can personally. That sounds great. Is there anything else that you want to say that I haven't asked yet? No, I think we've touched on lots of great stuff. Yeah, just super grateful for you spending this time with me and really, really appreciate it, Lee. Uh, No problem. Thank you. And this was really great, Webb. I really appreciate your time talking to me today. And my guest today was KubeCost CEO, Webb Brown. Webb, thank you for being part and a guest on Software Engineering Daily. Thank you again, Lee. My pleasure.